0: You've heard the Christmas story several times by now. Thank you, Emma. Still, I'd like to read a portion of it again from the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verse 26. And I would invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. This is Luke one, verse 26 and following. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, The angel announces to Mary that Jesus will be born to her. Terrified, perplexed, Mary asks one question, makes one proclamation, and makes one decision. The question she asks is, how will the impossible become possible? It's an excellent question it's one that we all face. Every time we stand in a cemetery and read from the book of Job, you remember the words at funeral graveside services, even though my flesh deteriorates and is eaten by worms, I will see my living redeemer here on the earth in my own body. I myself will see this and not another. Every time we read that, we have to ask ourselves, how will the impossible become possible since this is the promise of God. The whole promise of God is impossible unless God does something that we cannot do. Unless God acts in ways beyond our ability to understand or comprehend or prove or even speculate about, the promise of resurrection is impossible for us. Many translations of verse 37 in this first chapter read, rather than, uh, for no word of God will ever fail, they might read, for nothing is impossible with God. The answer to our questions about the impossibility that surrounds our faith, upon which our faith is built, is answered when we ask the question, how is it that the impossible can become possible? And the answer we're given here by the angel is, it's simple, no word of God ever fails. His word, his promise is the fulfillment. If he said it, it's already true and accomplished. And so all of the promises in Christ are yea and yay, yes and yes, true. Because when he utters the promise, that's as good as fulfillment. You can take those promises to the bank because God has determined it will happen. The second thing Mary does is make a statement. It's a big statement. She says, I am the Lord's servant. It's a huge statement. This proclamation amounts to a statement of fact for Mary and an understanding of her position. Mary sees herself as one who exists to serve God. She has placed herself in a position to accept instructions and considers it a privilege to serve and the privilege of her creator to ask whatever he will of her. This is less common than we think. How many folks really think of themselves as indebted to God or anyone? How many folks think they need to report or be accountable to anybody else regarding their personal choices and their personal rights. How many folks even think they have a responsibility to society or even to their own neighborhood? Well, in that last category, there are some folks who do. There are some folks who, well, they talk about wanting to do something for the neighborhood they grew up in. We've heard of some sports figures who do great things for their hometowns. They open up a new gym at their old high school. They create scholarships for underprivileged kids. There are philanthropists around who give money to create hospitals or libraries or other such institutions. Most of the time, however, this is due to the fact that these individuals have amassed significantly more resources than they need and decide they really ought to share. Now that's a noble thing, and we want all of that to happen as can possibly happen. But those kinds of gestures become even more noble when folks of modest means give of their resources to help others. But even when folks of modest means, as noble as they are, do that sort of thing, that's different than the kind of commitment Mary is describing. She's not saying I will do a good deed of my choosing because I am your servant. She's saying I am your servant, I'll do whatever you ask. Do you understand the difference? It's a universe of difference to say, I will do the good I want to do, rather than I will do the good you tell me to do. This one's still full of self. I'll give from what I consider to be my excess, or I'll give to the projects I care about, or or I will help the people I think deserve my help, or I will, and it's all, hear all the I in there? And this is, whatever you say, Lord, that's what I'll do, because I am, I'm yours. It's a different kind of commitment she's saying I am yours to instruct always that's a commitment but then Mary steps even one step further here's the third thing that Mary says may your word to me be fulfilled Mary understands the impossibility of the situation mary recognizes and affirms that she is the lord's to command and then faced with the choice to cooperate with an order that will cause her pain embarrassment and difficulty she says may your word be fulfilled to me mary is all in She will choose to believe that God will do the impossible through her and she will do her part as fully as she is able. Elizabeth calls that act of faith commendable. What does Elizabeth say when Mary arrives? Blessed are you, Mary, because you are able to believe what God has promised he will do. It's one thing to do the good I've been invited to do. It's another thing to embrace the pain I've been invited to embrace. I'm inspired by Mary's level of commitment, the obvious depth of her faith and her willingness to embark on a journey she knew from the beginning would be difficult and fraught with danger and wonder. you might find the level of wonder in this story exciting. I find it terrifying. When asked to move into the realm of the impossible, the uncharted, the unpredictable, I have to confess, I get nervous. I'm one of those personality types who likes to have some idea how things will turn out i i want to prepare for potential outcomes i don't really like surprises or shocking encounters that are truly out of the box unexpected when i was growing up we used to sing a song i'll say it you sing it with me if you remember the words or if you're fast enough to look it up in the hymnal I care not today what the morrow may bring if shadow or sunshine or rain the Lord I know ruleth over everything and all of my worries are vain living by faith in Jesus alone Trusting, confiding in his great love. Safe from all harm in his sheltering arm. I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. This is how the verses go. Though tempest may blow and the storm clouds arise, obscuring the brightness of life. I'm never alarmed at the overcast skies. The master looks on at the strife. I know that he safely will carry me through, no matter what evils betide. Why should I then care Though the tempest may blow if Jesus walks close to my side? What was the chorus? Living by faith. I think I used to be more comfortable living just by faith, trusting God to care for me. But as my responsibilities grew larger, my demeanor became a little more ponderous, my planning more intense, and my preparations more comprehensive. Too many people rely on me to fly by the seat of my pants, I tell myself. But how do you plan for the impossible? How do you walk with God into a future you can't control? How do you talk yourself into an obedience, into an obedience, that takes you all the way into uncomfortable or even into dangerous? Mary knows. It follows from her commitment to live as God's servant. But I've got to be candid. Here's the part that I find the most difficult. It's right here in these next verses. It's really not the part about picking up crosses that is terrifying to me or even surprising or even difficult to me. It's it's having done that, it's the joy part. This is Mary's song, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arms he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts he has brought down rulers from their thrones but he has lifted up the humble he has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Do you hear the operational words in there? My soul glorifies. My spirit rejoices. He is merciful. He is powerful. He acts beyond the resources of the powerful and the wealthy and the proud. He remembers his promises to his people. Mary is downright joyful. She's ecstatic. She's exuberant. This song comes after. She sees Elizabeth in the scripture so I assume that this joyful song comes after the pregnancy is established Mary knows the miraculous is happening I want to know is this the season of morning sickness it makes chronological sense The fact that her parents have whisked her out of town means the potential for embarrassment is already present. The social difficulties with the pregnancy have already begun. And yet Mary is filled with joy. And so I ask myself the question, when asked by God to serve, is my response grudging obedience Or joyful obedience am I joyful at the beginning of the task and then start to grumble if the obedience lasts a long time and the task takes longer than I anticipated am I really willing to walk by faith more than just around the block these are questions I'm asking myself as I step into the new year. I'm hoping for more more joy in my life in the year to come. Not because I'm hoping my circumstances will improve. Because I believe that nothing is impossible for God and that the Holy Spirit is working in me as he is in all of us to transform us, to, to help us to move from one glory to the next. And for me, I want that to be an increase in joy. How I get there? I don't know. I'm not completely sure. But I remember that Mary believed that the promise of God, once spoken, was sure. And I'm going to trust him to take me there, to take me to the place of joy, regardless of what the year ahead holds. I think somehow, it's linked to my willingness to live as a servant of God, asking him to help me make Mary-like commitments, both to service and to joy. And it's my prayer for you that your year will be filled with the joy of the Lord as well. Regardless of the circumstances you encounter, Regardless of the crosses you're invited to pick up and to carry, regardless of how long you have to carry those crosses, that the presence of the Lord with you in those times will be joyful, and that he will renew you as you serve him. Lord Jesus, may we know your joy in the year ahead. May the joy that we experience, the joy we have at serving you in abandoning ourselves to you and of seeing you do the impossible in ways we don't understand, but in ways that you've promised. And so we give you praise and we thank you and we invite you to lead us into this new year with great faith and trust in you. For we ask this in your name. May you know the joy of the Lord each day as you walk into the future with him. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.